Now, we can't create elders, can we? And Brother Zach has been a tremendous example of this. But you know, I think one of the... uh, one of the travesties, not just, I'm not talking about the PB churches, I'm just talking about churches at, at, at large. One of the travesties is that most of the time we don't even think about elders in our churches until the singular pastor dies. And then we think, we've got to hurry up and find somebody. Well, that's not the way the church is supposed to function. The church is supposed to be about the business of seeking to identify, train, and raise up elders, men who can handle the Word, men who can shepherd the flock. You'll, you'll notice, you know, Titus was not um, in a hub of Christian maturity. Titus was left with the overseeing and establishing of churches in a pagan, godless Place and Paul assumes that there are going to be elders, plural, to be raised up in each of these churches. Isn't that something? Now, as I say that, it's not a guilt trip, but it is a wake-up call. If we're not interested and busy seeking to identify and train, and train is a key word in that, we're not functioning the way the church is supposed to function. Because this is normal. This is what Paul expects out of pagans who are brought out of darkness into light who have no real background. He expects that Titus is going to be able to oversee this raising up of elders. Now, let's move on from there. Titus chapter 2, after his exhortation to, uh, as you raise these elders up, they must be godly, they must be Gifted, they must be able to refute error. They need to be able to um, hold forth sound doctrine. And then in chapter 2, it starts with, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That is, speak those things that would accompany sound doctrine, that would. Uh, um, Complement or be a natural outflow of that. What does that mean? Well, he's going to spend the next several verses going through different categories. Speak the things that become sound doctrine. What does that mean? Verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. You know, in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, there are no big I's and small U's. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, you have, if you have received the Spirit of God, you have also received a a gift. You've been gifted in some capacity. The, The source of that gift is grace... And the way that passage, Ephesians 4, 7, if we, if we were to, the, to uh, rearrange the wording so it was a little clearer, I don't mean distort the text, but it's as if Jesus Christ took a, uh, an ice scoop and scooped out just the right amount of grace for you and the gift that He's given you for the edification of the body. And then He's given it to you. 
You see, there's no such thing as someone who's brought into the church that has no capacity to serve. At the bare minimum, aged men, older men, part of your service to the church, part of what it means for you to help your church function the way that Jesus Christ intends for the church to function is that you become a sober-minded person. It just means someone who can think clearly. Someone who can think clearly. You know, there's no such thing as a strong church with weak men. So what are you doing to make sure your church is strong? There's a couple of things you could be doing, and Titus has this in mind. You'll notice, uh, I hate to lay it out there for you young men, but I guess Paul only thought you could deal with one thing at a time because the only thing that the young men are exhorted to do is to learn how to be sober-minded. And that's a full-time job, isn't it? I say that as a former younger man, and if you were to ask my wife, she would say, I'm still working on it. Um, Sober-mindedness. Again, it's just the ability to be able to assess, to be able to see clearly, not to be, Ephesians 4, tossed about with every wave of doctrine, not to be in an emotional whirlwind when it comes to handling matters that are consequential. You know, the sad thing is is that many churches have split and died over stupidity. You want to know what they were lacking? Men who could think soberly. Will yours die because of that? Don't sit here and think it can't. You're a generation away. I tell our folks at home all the time, we're a generation away from being dead. Which begs the question, as we have taken up the baton for our time in the kingdom and our time and stewardship over the church of Christ, what sort of normal are we laying out for our kids? Is it normal to make it to church on time? So, oh, here we go. Isaac must have been talking to Lewis before we... No. <laughs> you know, we do. We struggle, don't we, to get here sometimes at 10 o'clock? That's an early bird, isn't it? 10? 10 o'clock. If it were a hair appointment, you would call it a mid-morning appointment. <laughs> If it's a prayer service, you say, you don't understand. i got all these kids. Look, I know kids are difficult and I'm not trying to do anything with that. What's going to be normal? Do your kids think that, uh, and I can't remember, you guys have the prayer service first. Do your kids, I'm talking to the folks at Grace Chapel and wherever you go, whatever you all do, do your kids think the first 15 minutes are just throwaway? Well, you may have never told them that with your mouth, but you tell them that every single time you frolic in 15, 20 minutes late like it's no big deal. Now, we have emergencies. I understand that. You get caught at trains. Not every Sunday, but you get caught at trains. I understand that. But I also know this. You can make it to where you want to be on time if you want to. You know, one time I was having a conversation with a brother at our church, Brother Steve Chun. And he told me, he has nine kids, and he said, we have to start planning on Thursday in order to get to church on time on Sunday. (laughs) 
he was not making a joke. Okay? He, he was planning. He was serious about trying to, again, set this normal. So, again, this is not me taking jabs. This is me asking a serious question. What's the normal we're setting? Is it normal for meaningful fellowship to occur? What happens after the preaching? Is it something that you talk about? Is it something that's discussed? Is it something that's referenced? Or does it take a back seat to Memphis football? Now I am going to dig at Memphis football or whatever else. (laughs) Or does it take a back seat to whatever? It doesn't matter. What's normal? Well, I'll tell you what's normal. Whatever you've made normal. That's what's normal. And so this responsibility that we have as the church... now Now let me say this. This is not one of those things and sometimes we... We can get frustrated and bark at some of this stuff and hope that just a good scolding will do, and that's not it. One of the things that becomes very apparent out of Titus chapter 2 is that we don't just teach what to do, but we also need to be taught how to do it. Okay? So, the aged men are sober and grave and temperate and sound in faith and in charity and in patience so that they can teach the younger men how to be sober. And if you're sober-minded, really the rest of those easily flow from that. The aged women, likewise, verse 3, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Now, sometimes people have taken this text and jumped on the hobby horse of just the keepers at home, obedient to their husbands, and if you don't do that, then you're blaspheming God. Okay, That's not the way this text is intended. It's intended that older women, it is a serious responsibility as well as it is for older men, to teach the younger women these things. Why? Because they're lost in a generation. That's why. They're lost in a generation. We live in, and, and you know, every generation could say, you know, this is more ungodly than it's ever been, and so forth and so on, and maybe that's true. But you know, the, the normal in the church of God is teaching ungodly people how to be godly taking immature believers and teaching them how to grow in Christ-likeness. What does it mean to be a wife? What does it mean to be modest? You know, sometimes we complain, well, my goodness, you know, the modesty standards are just not what they used to be. Sometimes I hear that and I say, that's a parenting problem. Regardless of what it is, you may disagree, and that's fine if you do, we can still be friends. It needs to be taught. You don't just assume somebody's going to figure that out. What about how people behave during church, during the service? That has to be taught. What about how you interact as you share a meal? It doesn't need to be forced, it certainly doesn't need to be fake. But edifying Christian fellowship, like it or not, needs to be taught. What about learning how to handle the Word in a meaningful way? So that as the younger folks are seeking to feed their own souls, they don't just you know, 
flip open a text and you know, but speak the other things which become sound doctrine and say, well, what that means to me is it's funny to say it, it's horrific when that's the norm in a church. You want to know how it becomes the norm in a church? When the alternative is not taught. When people think that Scripture is, is, is just up to their impressionistic interpretations, this sentimental thing, how is it that some churches have more of an appetite for sappy, silly stories than a clear exegesis of God's Word? They were taught that. That's how. Week after week, month after month, they heard older men who did not think soberly talk about what a red-letter day it was because brother so-and-so made you cry of a story about a cricket. (laughs) And that became the norm. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but just a bit. You see, the church is supposed to function in such a way that we are teaching one another. Now, I got off on this a minute ago, but we're so individualistic and we're so hesitant about this. Discipleship in many churches has just vanished. And discipleship really is a relationship, a teaching relationship. It's not I stand and talk and you take notes and we part ways. It's we live together. I'm I'm not just sharing with you what the Word says. I'm encouraging you in how you can apply it. And then I'm also hoping to encourage you to turn around and do that with somebody else. Some people have this idea that the pastor is supposed to be the only one ministering. You know, there's too many ministry opportunities, ministry situations for a pastor to ever get to in his life. That's not me saying, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe the stresses of the ministry. Okay, I love the ministry. I love the work of the ministry. But there aren't enough hours in the day to get to everything that needs to be gotten to. And the good news is, God never designed the church to function as a one-man show. We are a body who are called to speak the truth to one another in love that we might edify one another and we might be built up into our head. That's normal, according to the New Testament. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about these glorious messages we're hearing on the church, what the church is, I just want to encourage you that as you walk away moved by what's being said, I want to encourage you, you have a place in that story. And you get to decide not only what the church in your generation looks like, but what the church in the generation to come thinks is normal. You say, my goodness, how will I ever know? Right here. That's how you'll know. You learn. You teach. Instruct. Encourage. There's a whole lot to life in a congregation, this is just part of it. But it's a necessary part of it. And so my prayer is that as we hear 
the next couple of messages on the glorious church of Jesus Christ, that we will be motivated not only to stand in awe of what we've been given, what we've been made a part of, but that the weight of our responsibility of being a good steward in our day will be impressed as well. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank You that You have made us, You have brought us into Your church. And it's a church that You love. It's also a church um, that You have um, given us stewardship over. And so I pray we would be good stewards. I pray we would not just function in a way that keeps us comfortable, but that we would take Your Word seriously. Father, raise up older men who are sober and grave and all these things that are mentioned here in Titus. And by that I mean bless these older men to be intentional about growing into this. Bless the younger men to be intentional about being sober-minded. Bless the older women to be intentional about teaching the younger and the younger intentional about learning and getting to the place where they can turn around and teach others as well. Father, what a marvelous way you've set up your church. Now I pray we wouldn't be so arrogant as to think we can improve upon it or ignore what you've given us to do. I pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ. In His name, Amen.